National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. I'm the executive director of NAVA and I'm here in the home and also I'm seeing it's the it's kind of the research hub and the studio and the brain centre of Elvis Richardson. Thanks for having me. Hi. <laughs> Glad to be here and that you could find it, yes. Oh, you're in a great spot. Oh, and we also have barking and playing and growling in the background is Jack, who we're going to try not to mention, but he is super friendly <laughs> and will very likely leap into my lap soon, which will also be very nice. <laughs> So when I walked in, I saw some big pieces in the in the hallway. Oh yeah. Um, tell me about those. Oh, um, not on the thirteenth um, for two weekends. There's a Kite and Contemporary. They're oh, an organisation yes. of organised the Kite and Contemporary Art Triennale, KCAT. <laughs> um, <laughs> good acronym. Yeah. So they're paintings, enamel paintings on metal. And they all say, they're like uh, advertising signs and they're um, advertising artist lifestyle. And so I have the word artist lifestyle on there. There's 10 panels and each one is a different anagram of artist lifestyle. So they're kind of a little bit ambiguous or ambivalent about whether they're proposing a solution in terms of artist lifestyle is the solution or the problem. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm hoping that they're doing. <laughs> that's um, they, they mean they're so bold for starters. So I would love to see them in situ in Kyneton. But yeah, artist lifestyle. It's become the you know we've kind of in the last decades gone through sort of recognising that gentrification is um, precipitated by the work of artists to yeah. them being really frustrated and still now frustrated that um, artists are locked out of the benefits of gentrification and then sometimes there's even a um, bringing artists into that whole planning conversation. Sure. But, you know, it's still actually not about making the space for artists predominantly, is it? No, no, it's not. No, not for every artist. I mean, like, it's kind of a situation where now where, um, yeah, yeah, if you don't buy property, you're kind of like you're always going to be in a situation where you're going to be moved on, I guess, yeah, which is what happens to artists. That's one flip side of the coin and the other is, um, you know, well, when they renovate warehouses and other things, they don't do that so much anymore. They just pull them down and build lots of apartments. Yeah. So remember that time when they kind of shelled them and, you know, made them into lofts or yeah like was that better or cheaper and um and then and the shelling then means that <coughs> you're then just completely appropriating that lifestyle because it sort of looks like yeah you know. and artists can't afford the luxury apartments i actually noticed that they were being called contemporary apartments now like, oh, really? yeah luxury <laughs> seems to have kind of lost a popularity 
semi-contemporary, um, Melbourne contemporary, apartment contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, yeah there's, no, there's no limit to what can be appropriate. Yeah, or sense. what is contemporary as well. Like, <laughs> it makes you think that. When I saw it the other day up on um, Holden Street, yeah, some apartments were being called contemporary apartments instead of luxury, yeah. Which, again, also is that word contemporary and how that has become a sort of an elite whereas perhaps it's, um, you know, contemporary art was, I guess, I never meant to express that art is of this place and this moment. But sure. the fact that that word can be co-opted for, um, for the advertising and sales of apartment is also a bit, yeah. <laughs> a bit alarming. Yeah, and following straight on from luxury, I guess it brings the assessment, connects the two a little bit as well, as if contemporary is luxury at the same time, yeah. or contemporary art is anyway. In one sense, yeah. So how is your art contemporary? Um, I guess all art's contemporary <laughs> at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just of its time, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, mm. or responding to things of its time, yeah. I mean, I'm always thinking about situations that I'm in and, you know, what it draws me to look at and, you know, making something out of that, um, yeah. And your practice is so strongly about that, whether it's in your own artistic practice, but thinking about the work of the Countess, which is about and has been about uh, drawing out and making visible yeah. um, certain aspects of yeah. um, the contemporary times, representation of women and others. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you grow up feeling different and then you find out you're not alone, that everyone else is having those experiences too. I think that's what I got out of Countess, you know, doing that like because everyone was going yeah me, me too I guess um yeah. that sort of you know responding to to the now but also people going yes well me too like, yeah and doing things that come out of your personal experience and in a way they're kind of part of your story but they're part of other people's stories too having those similar experiences um tangentially or whatever but um yeah so I and it's not not to kind of you know, it's to give lots of people voices rather than to assume like you're representing. Yeah. yeah. So just um, that's my position with all of, you know, the Countess stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's been great to kind of create a platform. And that's why, like, now Countess has been run by a new group of young artists who are, you know, and I'm really excited about that. And they're just off doing their own thing. I mean, it's they're finding how difficult it is and how much work is involved um, so it's moving a lot slower than I think they expected. But, you know, in terms of what they're, yeah, they're doing great. Yeah. We're getting the website very soon. I can't wait. I think that's a really important insight, what you just said about how much work there is involved in yeah. Countess. And I really like the community counts. And I was at one at ACCO, yeah. which was also as part of Unfinished Business a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And we talked a lot about how, as well as just sharing that work, so each being given that big spreadsheet and mm. looking at... Uh, what is the balance and the, and the representation of um, people of various genders in awards, in uh, festivals and yeah. uh, biennials and biennales. Yeah. Um, but also the sharing of, like, this is the work that's involved. You know, it takes this much time to go through yeah. and do that search and, 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 you know, triangulate and not just go from one particular representation yeah. of how an artist is talked about. Yeah, and to kind of, yeah, see it through to the end too because, yeah, you are searching and trying to identify artist gender as well, which, you know, came up 
you know, that's nice about having a group of people working on countesses that, you know, they'll be able to write up the methodologies a little clearer and do things in ways that where, you know, people's skills can be shared and yeah. create those things. Yeah, I'm really excited about what they're going to achieve. They've got some great things because that's the other thing when you're doing that. Everyone's always telling you all the things you could do. <laughs> oh, why don't you do this? Or you could do that. Or you should talk to these people or those people. And, um, you know, I've got a part-time job, a family, an art practice, and, you know, it's kind of, it just piles up, doesn't it? I'm so <laughs> glad you brought that up because this is what happened that day. So, you know, they, they made... Um, uh, a representation on, you know, like, so Amy spoke and uh, made a representation on, you know, just here's what's involved and here's who we are and, uh. um, and yeah, and a bit about your background and approach and so here's what, what we're going to do today. Mm. And then I think people get a bit carried away by the, oh, well, you know, you know, but because this should happen. This. And, and then it was just, if you can't do that. this, won't you do that? And finally I just yeah. had to say, look, <laughs> they've just explained that, you know, they're just two people doing this part time and obviously. Um, yeah. we should all be contributing yeah. uh, to, to that kind of yeah. account, but also to the advocacy and the and the ethics that underlie it and the politics that will actually change it. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. Like I kept Countess Simple because of the limited time I could yeah. spend on it was just to provide the data, just to put it out there and allow other people to do things with it. I mean, I did, you know, have some commentary from time to time, but often I just went, here, look, I just counted this, here mm. it is. And, um, yeah, bringing it back to the numbers. So so uh, people can do something with that information and it's just out there and, yeah, we can't ignore it. And it's great the impact that um, that had through the Countess Report doing that year-long benchmarking one was really mm. um, significant and will actually do something in the future to, you know, compare it against and do stuff. Yeah, so... And that was enormously, enormously valuable. Yeah, yeah, because um, all the museums and stuff did take notice of it. And, yeah. And that was, yeah, I had no idea. And that was actually with the help of NARPA. Because that's the other thing too, like you've got so many skills as an artist, but you yeah. want to specialise and you want to kind of do what you want to do. And it's like, again and again, there's other admin and other weird things you're really doing a lot of a lot of the time. Oh, exactly. And that's yeah. the, there's already all of that admin just around, like you say, the, um, the getting on top of and staying on top of your own practice and yeah. that resourcefulness to just find what you need to, to sustain yeah. that, let alone yeah. everything else. So, yeah. so tell us how, um, I guess, you know, what, what was that initial spark? How did the counting emerge from your practice? I think I was always like a, a feminist. I was always very critical of or a very I guess like a lot of people just hyper aware of you know power and you know I don't know and that's such an important uh sense it's yeah it's, it's one we we all need and if not we need training in it Absolutely. yeah yeah so that was an experience as a young person and so I, well when I left when I was 18 and early on, I worked in youth refuges as a youth worker with homeless young people. And I did that for about 10 years until um, they you had to get degrees in youth work to be able to work in youth work. And I, oh, at yes. that point, had started you know, my training as an artist at art school. And, and it was just too much, to do, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, had to, I ended up getting out of that field, unfortunately, because I actually really enjoyed it and you felt a sense of purpose and 
you know, you were connected to lots of interest, oh, you know. Of course. Yeah, I just, when I went to, I actually got a scholarship, a Stamstag scholarship, and, and I went to New York. I got into Columbia University, which was just so exciting. So great. And then I went there, and I noticed as soon as I got there that the class, it was 40 students, or no, it was 20 students, and half of them were men and half of them were women. There was a lot of men in the class. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Then I noticed they were half, and I was involved in the intake for the second year, and it was, they were, had, you know, they had a gender quota. You know. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like a eye-opener to me yeah. like in terms of that other side of that working. But then I noticed as soon as I finished the degree and I stayed in New York for another two years that the men still did a lot better than the women. And I also had this job where I had to work out in Long Island and I catch a train, took an hour and a half or two hours each way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I would buy art magazines that were really cheap there, like Art in America was like $5 or something. And, um, <laughs> oh, wow. and I'd really read it from cover to cover on the train. And I just started highlighting boys' and girls' names in the magazine um, and just liking it aesthetically more than anything. Mm. And I never actually can, you know, compiled what I was doing yet. So Countess was just taking that to another level. I did actually did that as an exhibition. Um, it was um, Andrew Frost's Art Life blog had started and it was initially anonymous and it was a lot of fun and people were kind of commenting. And, but it wasn't in the horrible trolley way that people comment and stuff now do you know oh, what I mean? the trolling now is is toxic whereas that yeah. was yeah and that Those was early... anonymous yeah and like we had people still had a politeness about it oh you know? no those early days of the blogs yeah um, there was some great discussion because people were so hungry for their exactly. actually being a forum for that it was really really mm. exciting and fun i thank andrew for that and the team that he worked with yeah and that inspired me to do countess because i could be anonymous too and you know that was that was really good fun, um, yeah. So that's how why it started really because of blogging and its popularity at the time. I mm. didn't even know if Facebook was there. I guess it was. Yeah, that was two thousand five. At the or very four beginning, or yeah. yeah. And maybe it was getting shared. You know, I don't know. And yeah, it was just a good time. I think. Yeah. It just made it such an easier way to yeah. you know, be able to share that. And I guess to have the courage to do it initially because, mm. like, even though, you know, I'd experienced, you know, directors of an art gallery talk asking me about my husband and my son and then a male artist turning up beside me and him, you know, the director going, oh, so what's coming up for you? And, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. and just that as, like, just a little idea of some of the things like that stuck out. Um, of not being taken seri that seriously as an artist, or mm. not, mm. yeah, yeah, and I think also I was I was of a particular generation of artists that I finished um, my BA in nineteen ninety two, and then the Emerging Artist Grant was invented in nineteen ninety four, so like then all the Samstags and all those kind of scholarships started at that time too, you know what I mean, and the Masters program started and became popular and then um you know there was a lot for emerging artists or it felt like that, that the generation before didn't have because i think i was taught by that generation you had to earn it and and that very notion of um you know that that an artist's uh, work across a lifetime will have different stages in the way yeah. that we talk about that and 
you know, it, and, it, and there's such discrete chunks of time in Australia. Like in the 80s, there had been an interest in youth because um, there'd been the International Year of Youth. And then right. uh, in 83, you had, you know, these youth arts organisations were founded for mm. the very first time. Okay. And before that, arts organisations were... Um, you know, the major performing arts and, yeah. and a few other bits or and pieces. Um, and, yeah. Um, oh, no, but, you know, but, but, but I mean, like, ones that are, like, artist development, you know, organisations. Okay, yeah, there were... Yeah. Um, there was training for performing artists, uh, for musicians and so on in, at, at the, you know, with the, with the majors. There's, mm. you know, the, the, the ballet school and so on. But in terms of, you know, supporting an artist's uh, career... Yeah. Um, those organisations just, you know, sort of didn't... Yeah. Didn't really exist. Next Wave was founded in '83. Yeah. Express Media was founded in '83. Um, it made me wonder as well, though. Like, were these things kind of building expectations of art careers as well? Like, um, which is yeah. You know, I've never met a satisfied artist really. Like, I don't mean <laughs> that in a terrible, cynical way, but yeah, it's um, yeah. That's what I kind of thought was. Like, I think at some point, okay, if you want to study art, well, no one... I, I would have imagined, expected you were going to have an art career. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that word, art career, which makes it seem like the objective is uh, to uh, spend all of your time on your art such that you make a profit yeah, from it. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, you know, would absolutely be the, the mm. aim of, of many artists. But then for many others, um, you know, you sort of, you maintain that practice around other things because it's actually a part of life yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, true. No, that's absolutely true. Mm. Yeah. How has that worked for you? Like, How have you balanced the um, work that you've done with the sort of income generating work? Yeah, I think I've just tried to get work that pays as much as possible so I can do as little of it as possible. <laughs> this is a good plan. <laughs> and I guess I'm happy on kind of a medium, you know, an average kind of income. And it means that, yeah, I don't only own any property or, you know, those kind of things. Like, um, and that makes me insecure now as I get older. So I'm very concerned about all of those things and the implications of um, what that means when you have the you know worked in an industry with a high income yeah yeah and also as artists you're most like those opportunities that you do get like you know I got a Samsung okay go overseas I'm overseas for four years like you know I come back takes me another four years just to be back on you of know course. hello you know yeah, of so it's very disrupting as yeah. well and um also came back you know didn't hadn't accumulated any money or a nest egg or anything came back destitute in a way and had to kind of plot you know just get back on your feet and yeah yeah so I think that those kind of opportunities are like poison chalices and in a sense um that yeah you don't realize implications till later on perhaps I mean it's interesting I think all artists at some point have some point you know if they've gone through the university system wonder you know should I be doing something else or should I have done something else or doubted it in some way? Um, yeah, it's almost addictive or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> so intriguing. Maybe, yeah. Because it's the, I was just thinking about what you were saying about, about disruption and so like addiction is also the that, that sense of, like you know how uh, uh, 
poker machine logic is talked about where uh, if you're addicted, you're going and you're pressing buttons or pulling the thing or whatever it is they do and your mindset tells you, well, I haven't won all of this time. Mm. Therefore, if I press it, I'm more likely uh, to win now. So it's, uh, it's that reverse kind of thing. Whereas, you know, in any other situation, if you weren't addicted, a uniform past experience will tell you, I haven't won anything so far. Therefore, I'm never going to win anything. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and that trade-off of, uh, you know, there'll be an experience now. There might be an exhibition or a grant mm. or a, you know, we talk so much, um, like you're saying, that notion of artist careers. Yeah. But what we should be talking about, and especially when it comes to uh, younger artists and, and artists sort of um, starting out, mm. is about what's disjunctive about it, what's disruptive, mm. that this is not going to be, it's not just not going to be a linear thing from emerging to established to whatever but any one of those steps is like a leap over here and a leap over there yeah and that's the sort of resilience yeah you know, in a sense that um, i think the bigger picture's coming out for sure mm. i mean it's funny how all these issues are all understood and on the table now it's amazing like, yeah, if you were whinging about the artist fee you were getting on something, you were ungrateful, like, a while ago. <laughs> but now it's like, anyway. Look, there's lots of things. It is interesting. Um, yeah. Oh, I made a work about that, actually, because I used to get rung up and get this gambling questionnaire that I, ah. I agreed to take part of. I kind of like market research. It's um, fascinating. <laughs> and it was for the government. It was about problem gambling, and they used to ring mm. me every six months. But I... It occurred to me loud and clear when they were I would get these repeat questions that had they been asking them about my the risks that I took as an artist financially, mm. um, I'd be scoring off the charts. So <laughs> I kind of redid wow. I redid the questionnaire asking about art instead of gambling, and um, in a way, I've always thought a little bit of some of the work I make about about artists and you could put Countess in that category although Countess never started as an artwork it was just an anonymous thing mm. um Grandpa Simpson kind of thing and it turned into I had to make it kind of work out how to make it an artwork I don't think I've achieved that or it is an artwork it's just what it is um but yeah this one I made into an artwork so yeah the questionnaire from the gambling oh has it been <laughs> Wouldn't that be? I've done that. <laughs> it would be. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that is fascinating to to yeah to turn that on its head because uh. we're used to being asked all these questions and um and also we're used to thinking of um art and art practice as just being a wholly other thing, um whereas it does also feed us and confuse us and we can be addicted to it and um and it can be like. Um, a relationship or a deep frustration or a betrayal or a joy. It's yeah. kind of the way, the way it infuses life. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is special. It's a special thing. You know, it is another language, that's why we do it, you know, to express ideas in different forms mm. and mm. doesn't all have to be written or word-based or whatever, although I do use a lot of words. <laughs> I guess to question them, if anything... And, like, even with the artist lifestyle or the questionnaire, the gambling questionnaire work, you know, they're kind of questioning the art, the, the, the heart, the cell of what it being an artist might be. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, 
course, you know, numbers themselves are just so powerful, you know, like there's a, um, we know, for example, in, in what we see in the news, um, you know, there'll be a story about something, but, but when there's an, a, a number of people or a, like a dollar cost of uh, something I've been noticing more and more in the last probably 10 years is when there's a report of like a really serious, awful storm that happened. Uh, or some kind of other big natural disaster, a fire. It's like It'll the worst be... 10 storms in the last five years or something. Yeah, because yeah. we're going to be hearing more and more about awful news about that. Thank you, climate change. Um, but like the, the, the thing that's in the headline will be the estimate of the damage that it caused rather than, say, even how many houses or how many people died. Like mm. it's, you know, the numbers have just become such a... Mm. I don't know whether it's a shorthand for the media or just like that's the... The sort of powerful thing for decision makers which is what makes the work of the countess so important as well but just numbers yeah 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 no mm. and having that as evidence and, mm. um well yeah and then people have always said oh you can make the numbers do different things but you know some numbers are just pretty simple and you know they're just a matter of you know chalking them up in a public place really yeah on the way over i walked past um there is this big uh, billboard just just on Sydney Road, just north the corner of Brunswick Road, and uh, that you know once you cross Brunswick Road and uh, and you're into Brunswick um, here in Melbourne, that is you know north of there, there's there's Coburg, there are suburbs where a lot of artists live and have tended to live, and of course that's kind of the latest. Um, what do you call it, right, it's kind of, you know, front of, of gentrification where uh, artists are also being priced out of that area. But, you know, we've all, it seems, yeah, at some point lived in Brunswick and rented a place there. But that great big billboard has got this very kind of, you know, aspirational young man. It's just, you know, uh, like a bust of him. And he says, in 2018, I'm going to become an investor. Oh, yeah. And so it's that kind yeah. of, um, not just the, the sort of change of gentrification, but you yeah. know, shifting that, that language again, sort of getting back to artist lifestyle about the thing to aspire to yeah. isn't to enjoy this area no. or just to live in this area or even to buy a place in this area, yeah. but to buy a place so that you can actually earn money off someone yeah, else's yeah. creative lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's just sickening. <laughs> All of the <laughs> stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But you may think, like, what, what more can we count and should people be counting? Um, I know. And something that... Um, so out of the latest uh, Throsby research, which is also really, you know, massive and timely mm. and gives us some really uh, chilling insights into how things have declined for women in particular if you yeah. look at all the all yeah. the figures and it was good to see them focus on that mm. in this as they hadn't focused on it as much in prior reports as either yeah. so that was really great yeah yeah and you can kind of get in there and filter through mm. you can go to the australia council's website and just choose art form areas to filter you can also just read the sort of massive massive um report which is also you yeah. know lots of fun uh and we were working with um some colleagues at the city of sydney who were also just trying to crunch the numbers in different ways and one mm. of them put this graph together which um for the for sydney uh -huh. um maps 
um, the decline in um, average artist income right. and on the same graph, mm. the median rent in Sydney. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought I showed that. Elvis is showing the crisscrossing hand maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One goes up, one goes down. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It, it then becomes places that, you know, you can no longer afford to live in yeah. because, in fact, the work of artists has transformed them. Sure. And then I also think about, okay, how are we going to transform that um, as women? What are we going to, you know, what, what institutions um, are mm. we going to transform such that they are, they are actually, you know, better places to work and, um, yeah. and, and, and have got better opportunities, you know, for uh, people of all genders simply yeah. because we're responding to numbers like yours. Yeah. So what are some of the, like, you know, obviously the, the, the counties have been kind of, you know, fairly widely reported, but what are some of the things that you hear about, I guess, just decisions people making differently or things that people have now got the insight into I think just the cultural culture in general of you know like an awareness of inequality and our power imbalance works and um, you know this group isn't necessarily lazy or you know that work isn't necessarily less valuable or you know the childcare working march the other day it's like such a perfectly good example of you know how one job is just considered less important than someone who's an investment banking advisor (laughs) I mean really yeah so I don't know I love there was um, Richard Dennis had given a talk at a women's thing from um, the Australian Institute who said that he was talking to a CEO who asked how they acquire good staff and the CEO said you know, we offer money and bonuses and da, da, da. And then he talked about who looked after the CEO's children and should they be doing using that same kind of thing in childcare centres to acquire good staff. And the CEOs, you know, unbelievably said, oh, no, I don't want someone looking after my children motivated by money. And, he, and then Richard Dennis said, he said, what, someone like you? <laughs> anyway, that's someone else's wow. story, but it was just a really good one. I don't know, I think it's all about work. And it's all about, you know, who gets to work and who gets to influence what those institutions are. And unfortunately, to allow those things to open up and change, some people, you know, different people who are used to getting what getting things aren't, people are going to miss out. And it's not yeah. going to be yeah. like the usual people who've been missing out for decades and years and centuries, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's probably, yeah, I don't know, because when all the feminist stuff's going on around unfinished business, like I'm seeing a smattering of men, but they're not really taking an interest, like hoping, I guess, it'll just kind of be something that's happening over there and not, you know, in the main kind of area. I don't know, but it is interesting. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, but I think that it's, I think it's tipping point at this point. Do you feel the same? Like I feel completely the same. And something that I found really heartening on exactly what you're describing is on uh, International Women's Day this year, I was part of a um, Mm. conference called Loud and Luminous, which is about um, and for photographers and women photography. And there's a closing panel at the end. And um, uh, there were a a few of us on that, including uh, Jerry Orkin. And he is from... um, 
oh, I'm going to forget the name of the organisation. Um, it's for street photographers. So I guess street photography being um, that style of practice, which is about um, capturing those, um, you know, unframed, um, un composed uh, images of largely uh, people but also objects in the street uh, mm. and, and people just going about doing their thing mm. um, and there are events and festivals um, for street photographers as there are you know for um, every other art form and he had spoken early in the day about the big gender imbalance um, you know we think about the work of uh, people like uh, Deb Verhoeven having called out mm. quite spectacularly just recently yeah. uh, in her excellent speech have you seen a woman mm. about this notion of all male panels and so you know we're sort of starting to see to be point around that mm. but um, a lot of women um, you know spoke passionately that day and, and he also spoke about um, well you know, there there isn't a limitless supply of conferences and panels, and men are simply going to have to step back mm. um, and open up opportunities mm. for mm. others. Mm. And then we had another photographer on that panel uh, who was also the only other man on that panel who found this genuinely affronting and was very happy to talk publicly about how genuinely affronted he was, which was great because so often that doesn't happen and so mm. the conversations don't happen. Yeah. And he kept saying, yeah, but like, obviously I'm only ever going to make decisions that, you know, are financially profitable for me. And yeah. so, you know, w why would I? And, and, and so then he had the chance to be uh, criticised by women and men mm. in the audience. And that felt like kind of a small tipping point because the, those conversations tend to just happen in parallel or just, you know, mm -hmm. not at all. Like they'll mm -hmm. just be, you know, the decision makers kind of over there and other people mm -hmm. over here. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you know, all the global stuff around, you know, Me Too and Time's Up and the... Mm -hmm. um, uh, the response to the open letter video that we made yeah. has been massive, yeah. but there just seems to be a fairly clear sense that mm. um, there are some things that are behind us and now we're all committed to making change. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's mm. really great. It's so great, yeah. and, but it's up to, you know, it is just so up to all of us to maintain it because yeah. we can't just have that sense of, oh, okay, we're talking about it now and that's... Yeah, and that's great. And I guess it's there's another good thing is that there are women in positions of power who can use the power differently. Yeah. You know, with that kind of support behind them culturally and stuff like that, where perhaps in the past would they would have been going out on a limb or yeah, you know, because you know, it's yeah we can't hold individuals responsible for <laughs> making the change without. I mean, like anyone who does anything does it with the support of you know other people whether it's whoever it is, mm. you know, even myself as an artist, you know, with my family or your gallery, you know, everything. It's not like, you, yeah, that just happens magically on its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's like that old adage about, you know, how, like, re revolution needs to be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, evolution otherwise mm. it is just that big break and it's disruptive like you're saying about you know you overseas for four years and you come back and you're sort of rebuilding for kind of yeah four more years yeah. and there's the um you know um how do we kind of make really really big change well often by making lots and lots of really small changes yeah and, and yeah. Just seeing what what comes from that and, and each one being such yeah. a strong foundation yeah yeah, no. so I think it's really exciting times. I had no idea. <laughs> it's just great. I'm really loving it. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah, everywhere, every time, you know, when I turn on the news, I'm hearing things that I want to, you know, be questioned and um, are getting the public attention that they deserve. Not everything across the board, but, yeah, yeah, it's good, Mm. I think. I hope that, and I like the interest of young people in all of that as well. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. And amazing and so important, so important. Yeah. Earlier I was asking about, you know, that kind of, that, that early stuff and what led to the counting and I can, mm. I can, I can so picture you now on this commute with a highlighter and, yeah. you know, highlighting the, 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 the names in the, in, in the magazine and then how that kind of, you know, emerged from some of the things that you're thinking about in your practice. Uh. Uh, but have there been then times when the work of Countess um, has then folded back into your practice instead of, you know, the one oh. having generated the other. Because as you say, it's not, it's not an arts project itself. Yeah, um, yeah. I have tried to... Yeah, I've probably specifically made some works that use some of the, you know, looking at magazines because I guess one of the things that I've become fascinated with is the idea of the artist's name and how that you know is really the brand and the reputation and like when you look at art magazines they're really full of artists names rather than you know images of their works or what have you so yeah that that's of interest so yeah I've made some works kind of out of that like I think with art you want to take it somewhere else and it not to be too literal or something and that's why Countess in a way is really literal and you know, that's just the way it is. And I've never really seen it as an artwork. or um, So, yeah, I have made some other things that kind of come out of the ideas of it, I guess. You know, from the material I'm looking at, particularly magazines, and, you know, developing a fascination and a connoisseurship of them, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. visually and all of that kind of thing, yeah. So, yeah, I think a bit of that that... Yeah. So you just made me think that, I mean, the whole kind of, you know, a magazine um, is its own kind of, like, it's it's a personality and mm. an anthology and it's of its time, like we were saying before yeah. about contemporary. And then, of course, magazines and the media in general exert a great deal of power uh, across mm. uh, the way we um, perceive the contemporary, uh, the way that we make decisions and judgments, the way that we know about any kind of political process, and so they're a really um, they're an incredible thing to to bring into an artistic practice. And then there's that question of oh, which I've been asking artists a, a lot lately the the, the difference between um, um, you know uh, a, a practice that is contemporary in that kind of bold and and political um, style or vein and then art as activism mm. and they strike me as separate things they, they, they strike me as um, there are times when you know in our practice or in our actions we're explicitly activist which is about you know bring about certain specific kind of change mm. then there's also the extent to which any work of art is political because it's actually about the current times it's an expression of certain values it's uh it's uh gonna be you know perceived and responded to by a public uh and so it exists in a space which is never a blank space yeah but how has that worked for you do you think and maybe even at 
at different kind of times in the last few decades? Like, have you been more artist and activist? Has it been explicit for you? I guess art is kind of a little ambivalent about things, do you know what I mean? And it never takes a position of... I mean, it can be, um, you know, cut right through an issue or something I'm thinking of... um, you know, just an obvious example jumped into my head. I lived in New York when September 11 was on and the oh, artist... yeah. I can't remember yeah. the artist's name. It might, they had put news reporters reporting that on a number of screens in Gagosian Gallery at the time. It's all a mush-up in there, <laughs> but all these cut-ups in there. But, um, or, you know, just something where you take something really from the real world that's terribly current and kind of, you know, bring it into an art context. You know, yeah, but otherwise, I mean, generally on the whole, I mean, I mean, arts and it's kind of like it's hard for art because it doesn't, um, its influences are kind of more long term or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because it's kind of art, you know, whether it's implicit or explicit, it, it draws on a really long tradition whether it's um of technique or of just referring to other art forms or to other artists or even if it's just for the person appreciating the work like you walk into a gallery and you've already got a sense of i'm in a gallery there are walls there are plinths i'm participating in 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 something yeah 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 there's something else as well of a coolness about art that is kind of i don't know when i say ambivalent it's, um, yeah, well, like you see it in kind of the worst of art writing. It's light, yet it's dark. It's transparent, yet okay. Um, I don't know, that kind of thing, like in a yeah. way, like, at a, yeah, there's probably good, I don't know what I'm saying. No, this is good, because I think it, when you started to say earlier that art is ambivalent, um, that just suddenly struck me as just a really quite kind of beautiful and powerful definition. <laughs> you know, art art is ambivalent. I often think of, you know, art as something that asks questions. Yeah. You know, there, are, there are objects in our world, in our lives, that you know, if you want to think about it functionally, they serve these particular purposes. Because and... if art had an answer, it would be dated <laughs> and yeah. it wouldn't be timeless and, like, there's yeah. got to be a certain... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, if it had an answer, it wouldn't keep provoking yeah. you as an object. And yeah. I guess that's the other thing that art does is that um, it continues to to uh. provoke you. It's not an inert thing that sits somewhere and, and performs one function sure. only. Although it kind of performs no function mm. as well. Like, yeah, mm. it's, a kind of, it's a funny thing. And getting back to at the beginning of our conversation contemporary and luxury in the kind of yeah. in the capitalist system of a marketplace of art how that works i mean i don't know any artist who could afford to buy art on a you know <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing let alone property <laughs> yeah 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 we've got to do uh, more swaps yeah <laughs> Have a swap meet. <laughs> God, that word contemporary becoming copted like that reminds me. I've also started to see the word curated. Oh, um, oh there's like a funny a, one recently. Where was it? A curated selection of, I don't know, it was like, um, it was definitely something commercial and, and, and retail. Um, like, you know, curation was also this. Don't you curate your Instagram or your... 
Yeah. Like stuff like that. I've heard that. Curated feed. Ah. Uh, yeah. Like uh. you've chosen to follow people and therefore you're, you're curating, which is kind of a, on the one hand, you know, yeah, we all can and should control the news that we consume, though, you know, in that, in that context, we'd be, we'd risk calling, you know, then Facebook an algorithmic curator of things we can and shouldn't be yeah, hearing. But the difference between, you know, like exercising choice and mm. working with someone whose who's profession is uh, not just to bring artists into powerful conversation with each other, but also to, you know, curate mm. from uh, curare, to, to look after, to, sure. um, you know, like you would curate um, a garden yeah. um, or there's something that requires long-term, as you were saying, that really yeah. long-term kind of yeah. care. Yeah, art thinks about history and the future, too, yeah. you know, like as a thing, doesn't it, a little bit? Wow, yeah, we've got a long way to go, yeah. We've yeah. got a long way to go and it's going to be all the little things, all the little powerful things that we do together. So we talked about so, so much. We talked about your practice, we talked about politics, we talked about counting, we've talked about, um, I guess, you know, the power of women and people of all genders to really shift the way that art is made and discussed in in Australia and in in so much of that um you have been such an important uh voice and for she's <laughs> she's shaking her head and laughing but it's true and it's it's you know um those small things that accumulate and now the fact that other people and other women can come along and do not just that counting but that all of us are involved in you know kind of powering and propelling um the work that you're doing i think is super amazing so elvis thanks for letting me come and chat with you for all this time thank you esther <laughs> <laughs> let's do good things yeah go go future <laughs> Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.